the truth, we love to shout your name because your name is worthy to be shouted from the rooftops. And God, so many times we live life very quietly. Lord, help us to live our life out loud, proclaiming your name in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we interact with each other. God, this is your time, and I invite you to do your work. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. We're going to be in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. We are cruising along, slowly but surely. So if you have your Bibles and can get there, that would be awesome. I would love for you to get there. So Wednesday night we were talking through Revelation and I I, um, got my studies mixed up. I thought that there was in chapter 2 a famous saying that everybody uses and didn't realize that it actually came from Scripture. But it actually is in this passage because my studies got all goofy. So I want to call it to your attention. Here it is. It's red at night, sailor's delight. Red in the morning, sailors take warning, right? Which you couldn't see red this morning. There was no way to take a warning. And it just snowed on us. So there you go. But I didn't know if you knew it or not. But in chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus actually references that. Now, it doesn't say it specifically like that. We've obviously modified it. But this is going all the way back. And so many times we use little things like this to kind of predict what's going to come, right? Y'all familiar with this phrase at all? Or is this kind of new? I know you... You have, Wade. But this is a a common phrase if you didn't know that. If it's red at night, you can kind of rest easy. If it's red when you get up in the morning, you better beware. It could be a tough day, tough weather. Okay, all right. So I don't know how much truth there is to that, but obviously there's some kind of truth to that because it's been around for a long time. And, you know, we all do that. I do it even with my kids. If they get up grouchy, I just assume... That they're just being a teenager and being grouchy because of lack of sleep or maybe they did something wrong. But the reality is, what if they're internally struggling with something? And what I do is I use the external of what I see to make a snap judgment on the things that I can't see. And I don't take time to dig in to see what's going on, what's really happening deep within them. So I get focused on the external rather than the internal. And we do that with so many things. We do that with church. We base a church on how great their program is or not, not the depth by which they go. We look at churches based on how many people are in there. Well, how many people do you, you don't even know how many pastor conversations I get in. And generally one of the first questions that they ask is, well, how many do you run? Because that's what we judge spiritual church health on. And this morning, we're going to see a passage where Jesus challenges that very thought, not just with the Pharisees, but actually specifically with his disciples. Of They are focusing on the external things that they're seeing, the, the things that they feel like they need, and they are forgetting about the eternal things. And as believers, it is imperative for us to switch our viewpoint from the external things around us, the things that we feel like we're owed, or the things that we feel like we need, to the things that God says are important, to the eternal things of this life. And that takes work, because we're not geared that way. None of us wake up in the morning thinking, oh man, what is God going to do today? How is he going to use me today? What awful thing is going to happen that God is going to bless me through? Do we? 
I don't. I wake up and go, oh man, I am sore this morning. What am I going to have for breakfast? How fast do I need to drive to get to work on time? Like Those are the things. What am I going to wear? Those are all the silly things that we worry about. Rather than, God, who are you going to put in my path to impact them for you today? Now, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty. I'm not trying to make us feel like, well, I'm not as good a Christian as I should be. All I'm saying is we have work to do. We have work to do in changing our viewpoint from this to that. And so external is greater than the temporal. Not external, eternal. I knew I was going to do that. I thought of every time I was making this slide yesterday, I was thinking, you're going to say external. And there you go. It's the eternal. The eternal, the things of God, the spiritual things, the things that will last forever are greater than the temporal things of this life. Emma, God love her. While we're singing and praising God, she leans over to me and I'm thinking, oh, look, she's leaning in. She calls me down and I lean down and you will never guess what she asked me. Where are we going for lunch? Because that's what we do. We are so consistent in our way of thinking that we think solely on the temporal things of life. Listen, none of us have missed a meal. I can look around and tell that. We're good. Hey, I'm right there with you. Like, I don't miss many meals. And I still worry about where we're going to eat dinner tonight, which is already planned. Where are we going to eat tomorrow? Where are we going to eat? Like, we think about these things. I think about what am I going to wear to work tomorrow? Think about how, what kind of car am I going to drive? I think about all of these things that mean absolutely nothing. These are things that not even the sparrows worry about or the lilies of the field worry about. And my God takes care of them. When are we as church people, as followers of God, as committed believers, going to begin switching our thinking to the eternal Rather than the temporal. So let's get into Matthew chapter 16 and let's see what he has to say today. We're going to start with the first five verses and then we'll continue a little bit on because it's kind of a little bit of a two-parter here. But Jesus pulls them together very nicely. So then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now, when it comes that they're testing him, it's not like he's trying to pass a written exam. They're trying to trip him up to kind of disprove all the things that he's been doing. They know that there's something special about this guy. And they want to do everything that they possibly can to make him look bad to be able to have the attention back on themselves. And so they come to him testing. And so they ask, we need a sign from heaven. We need to see something spectacular, not from you. But from God, from heaven. It's got to come from out there. It can't be wrought by your hands. It's got to be something spectacular. And that's common because a lot of times prophets of the old days would do something like that. Moses calling to God saying, hey, we need some food. And then manna falling from heaven. That was a real thing. Wasn't very tasty. They complained about it. But a great response from God to do something spectacular. Another one is this. Elijah calling down fire from heaven. If you've never read that story, please go study that story. One of my all-time favorites. 
He is standing in the midst of all kinds of false prophets that spent half a day cutting them scales and crying and moaning, and their God does nothing. And Elijah literally soaks this entire altar and the sacrifice, steps back, takes a deep breath, and says, Okay, God, your turn. I don't need it, but these people need to be reminded of how impressive you are. And then all of a sudden, a fireball from heaven comes down and just consumes that thing. Coolest thing ever. Wish I was there. Glad he doesn't do that anymore, because that'd be a little scary. And then Samuel, this is another story. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel calls for thunder to prove that God was still on the throne and to remind the people of what God is able to do. And it thunders and lightens. So these Pharisees and Sadducees who know the law inside and out, who know the history inside and out, are these spiritual leaders of this day for the Jews. They are coming to Jesus because he is threatening to them. And they say, we need a sign from heaven. If you are as good as you say you are, then you should be able to do what the prophets did. In verse 2, Jesus answers and says to them, and here's the little red at night, sailor's delight. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now that's kind of weird. Jesus looks at him and says, oh wait, hold on a second. You're the religious leaders, correct? You know all the ins and outs of the religion. You know all the ins and outs of the Old Testament, all the history of what this has been all about. And you can't even see what's right in front of you. But you have no problem predicting the weather based on the color of the sky at night or in the morning. But I'm standing right in front of you and you're asking for another sign? What more do you want? Think about this. These guys know the prophecies inside and out. They knew where Jesus would be born. They knew where the Messiah was coming from. They knew how it was going to be portrayed. They knew that there was going to be a forerunner setting the stage. All of these things have played out right in front of them, and they're still asking for a sign. That sounds like me sometimes. Pray and pray and pray. God, do this. God, do that. I really need this. And I can't help but think he stands back sometimes and says, Alan, I've already done it. It's already done, dude. Just open your eyes. See where I'm at work. See what I've already done. <coughs> and these poor Pharisees and Sadducees absolutely miss it. And so Jesus says, listen, here's how this is going to work. Let me read it again. He says that there will be no sign given to, to it this wicked and adulterous generation, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, the sign of the prophet Jonah has already happened. We know that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and then spit up three days later. And so if that's already taken place, how can that happen? How can there be another sign like that? Think about it. Who else goes into a deep, dark place for three days and then pops back out? Jesus says... You already got the sign way back when. It was kind of prophetic of the next sign that's going to come. And it's going to look exactly like the prophet Jonah. Now I want you to think about this. Think about the Pharisees hearing that, logging it away. 
and then watching him die, watching him be buried, and then seeing him again on the third day. Don't you think for one second that God clicked that light bulb on in their head? I would love to have been a fly on the wall when they heard that Jesus had risen again. And then all of these words that he had said comes flowing back into their mind. Love that kind of stuff. And I love his rebuke. He says, listen, you can predict the weather while simply looking at the sky. But you can't see what is right in front of you, even with all the knowledge that you have. Listen, I am all for us studying this book, knowing verses inside and out, having head knowledge just running out our ears. But if it never makes it to our heart to change who we are, it is useless information to you. Now, don't misunderstand what I just said, you at home, and you are here. In no way am I insinuating that this is ever useless. But if you only log it in your head and never put it to its work and allow it to do its job, it is useless to you. This living, breathing word is meant to infiltrate its way into our lives and to change us from the inside out. And if all we're doing is racking up how many verses I've memorized and how many passages I can quote and how many times I've read scripture through, but you do not love your neighbor as yourself, you do not love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you do not enjoy the fellowship of other believers, you can't tell me that the information in your head is changing your life. And the Pharisees are right there. They know the Old Testament prophecies better than anybody and the The playing out of the Old Testament prophecies is right in front of them. And they are oblivious. Or, maybe they're like us and they don't want to admit it because then we would have to change. You see, I remember sitting in many sermons, debating with the preacher in my head. But you don't understand. You don't know. You haven't been there. You don't experience that. You know why I did that? Because to admit that he was right would admit that I was wrong and I needed to change. And the Pharisees aren't interested in that. And Jesus says, all right, there'll be a sign, but it's going to look like a sign that's already been here. And you're going to have to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So let's keep going because that's just the first part of that instance of that interaction. And the Pharisees are the Pharisees. They do what they do. They love to challenge him. They love to try to trip him up. But now we're going to see that playing out a little bit in the disciples. In verse 5. Now when his disciples had come uh, to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So they were kind of on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Now they've moved away down to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And it says they've forgotten to take bread. They just forgot. They were kind of busy. They were a little distracted. And there's a great big Greek word that I'm not even going to try to butcher. But that's it right there. And it means forgot. They just forgot. Now one commentary that we looked at um, kind of played it out into a willful negligence. They willfully just forgot to bring the bread. Well, what bread are we talking about? Well, think back last week. What did he just do? He just fed 4,000 people 
or 4,000 men, not counting the women and children, and they had how many baskets left over? Let's see if you remember. Seven this time. Twelve the first time, seven this time. And so they had bread left over. Provision that they were supposed to take with them and continue to move on, and they just happened to forget. As we go through this word and look at these things, it could be that it wasn't like an intentional forget, but it's kind of like they've gotten comfortable with the idea that, you know what, he'll take care of it. I'm just going to commit this sin because I know he'll just forgive me. I'm just going to go there because I know this time I can handle it. I'm just going to click the button this time, next time I won't do it. Because God forgives and God will take care of it. Now, can he 100% he can forgive and he can help you with it? 100%, no doubt. But there's a portion of this where we are responsible to make the hard choices to avoid having to use that. That's abusing grace. His grace is sufficient in all things. But let's be careful and mindful of how we are using that grace. Here's another thing that it most likely could have been. Clickers give me a fit this morning. Think about this. When's the last time they had to worry about food? Jesus even says, hey, you can come see where I sleep, but I don't even have a place to lay my head down. I don't worry about food. I just kind of show up, and if there's food there and people offer it, I eat it. If not, it's all good. Nowhere do we see where they're starving or missing meals. And in fact, both times now where there was no food to be had, they used what little they had to make an, an enormous amount of food to be given out. So yeah. We don't have to worry about food. We got Jesus. Interesting. We do have a lot to worry about. Not that we're supposed to worry. But we got a lot to think about. A lot to pay attention to. We can't just walk aimlessly through life. Let me ask you a question. When you were parenting your children, when they were really young, and you came to a very busy street and you needed to cross it, did you stand back and say, you know what? Good luck. No, and probably your kid looked at you and said, you're going to help me out here? Like, you're going to tell me what to do? That's important for us. When we get to a spot, instead of just running out into that busy street and then expecting God to fix or to stop the traffic or to protect us, maybe we should take a step back, take a deep breath and say, okay, God, busy street, big issue in front of me. What do you suggest? It's a novel idea. It actually works really well. I've tried the other way many, 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 many times. I've got the scars to prove it. And I'm telling you, taking a step back, taking a deep breath, and allowing the Spirit of God to guide you through the situation in front of you is super helpful. But so many times we fall in this space. God will just take care of it. Now, I don't, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. We should never become self-sufficient in this. We should never be self-reliant on our walk and our journey. We should always be reliant on him. We should always be going to him, asking for help. But not becoming abusive in the grace that he provides us. He provides so much more than just that. 
<clears throat> it's a big word for me. Complacency. It is the thing that I believe hurts more Christians than anything else. We get so comfortable, we get so fat and happy in our nice warm buildings that we forget to talk to our neighbors who are dying and going to hell. We get so comfortable meeting with our friends here that we forget to talk to our coworkers who irritate the snot out of us about the fact that, you know what, God loves you. I don't right now, but God does. God's met all my needs. As your neighbor sits in filth because they don't have any food and they can't clean their own house. We've got a lot of work to do. I'm not asking you to spend your life savings to take care of your neighbor who could get a job. What I am asking you to do is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do what is right. Love being kind to one another. And simply walk humbly with your creator. I can't make it any simpler than that. Jesus can't make it any simpler than that. So as we move on, watch what happens. Jesus says to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they say, well, he finds out that they don't have bread. And he looks at him and says, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, if you don't remember what leaven is, leaven is kind of that, that agent that you put in bread that makes the bread grow. Okay? And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They reasoned among themselves in verse 7 saying, it is because we have taken no bread. These poor guys. God love them. They're just a little clueless. So they're trying to figure out, what is he talking about? Is he really that mad at us because we didn't bring any bread? Is he really upset with us because we don't have anything to eat? Is he really bothered? But he's Jesus. Look what he's already done. I thought we would be okay. They're trying to figure it out. How could they forget? Same way we forget. Because he always provides. God always fixes it. Kind of like kids. Ah, mom and dad will take care of it. Not always. Maybe they were focused on what was next rather than paying attention to what they already had. Isn't that so much like us? We focus on what's next and we forget what God blessed us with right here. And we forget to bring that with us to influence and to help us with this next situation. And yet we say, you know what, that was the last one. God, I want new and fresh. Maybe the bread had molded. Maybe the little fish that they had already started stinking. And they thought, you know what? Ew, God will give us, or Jesus will give us new stuff. When maybe it was just fine. It just didn't suit our taste to the point that we wanted it. We do that. We really do that. And we forget about the great blessings and the cool stuff That God has already done for us. I guarantee you if we were to go around the room the rest of the day. We wouldn't get through half the room. With everybody telling all the good things that they remember God has done. We would have to come back another day to finish it. Guarantee it. Because I would take most of it. Because you know what my God has done? Far exceedingly bigger than I could have ever imagined. I've got stories upon stories upon stories that I've forgotten about. That he's done. 
because he's that amazing and that good. And the disciples in this instance aren't even thinking about some spiritual application from Jesus. All they're thinking about is the temporal things like us. Verse 8. Jesus, being aware of it, says to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? He's like, guys, seriously? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? He says, guys, how quickly you forget what I've already done. Did you forget that I fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes? Did you forget that I just fed over 4,000 people with just a little bit of bread? Did you already forget that? And you think this is about food. This isn't about food. Guys, you're missing the point. And how many times do we do that? We hear a message and we think that the Spirit is talking about this thing because that's what we're hyper-focused on. And yet the Spirit is actually talking about something deeper. But we don't want to go deeper because that's too painful. That's too hard. We are comfortable and complacent with that pain in our life. And we would rather deal with the temporal things that are easy. You want to be spiritually healthy? Let God dig a little bit. It will be painful. But the pain will be a good pain. It will be a comforting pain if there is such a thing. It will at least let you know that he's working on your life. I love the idea that he comes at him and says, listen, you already know about the temporal stuff. Now I need you to stop thinking about the temporal things and I need you to pay attention to the eternal things. And what eternal things is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. And what did they miss? They missed the misdirection of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The misdirection of them teaching all of the legalistic rules to follow and forgetting about the internal change that was to be there. The Pharisees were taking all of these laws and they were making it about them while they were living however they wanted to live. The leaven is... The legalism that's creeping in and changing the idea of the relationship that God had set up from the beginning. As long as you do this, this, and this, and this, you can live however you want and you're good. No. Our lives are called to holiness. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. That holiness requires us to live a certain way. Not in a legalistic fashion, but in a true, fundamental, biblical fashion that honors God, loves Him, and loves our neighbor as ourselves. That's what it is. But that leaven from the Pharisees has snuck in, and it is distorted and drawn away and misdirected good-hearted people to the things that really don't matter. Listen, you've been in churches long enough, you've watched it, happen. I know people giggle about the fact that sometimes the carpet color, if they're changing the carpet in a church, has divided churches, but the reality is it really has. 
Because they were focused on the temporal things. What does this matter? What does it matter what kind of chairs we sit in? Or what's on the stage? Or, or any of that. If it means we can reach people for Christ. We have to change our view from the temporal things that mean nothing. They are preferences. They are what you like and what I like and what they like. It shouldn't matter as long as the common goal is to bring people to the word of God. That is an eternal focus. Everything else is temporal. And we need to find a good balance for that. Because we need to be in a position that people want to come and hear about him. Right? We don't want to have a rundown church and all kinds of junky chairs. We want to have nice things. But when those nice things supersede our mission, then we've got a problem. Our focus has become temporal rather than eternal. Jesus wants us to focus. He wants the disciples to focus more on the internal rather than the temporal. He's like, guys, this isn't about bread. I I couldn't care less about bread. I'm worried about what these Pharisees are teaching. I'm worried about my people, that they are being misdirected. You need to be careful. And he spoke to exactly what they were dealing with. They were more focused on the temporal. Listen to these verses. This is in 1 Corinthians. For the love of Christ compels us. Think about that. Compels us. Not just encourages us or kind of sparks some interest. It compels us passionate you gotta do this this is important it compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he jesus died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again it is a shifting in perspective No longer do I live for myself, I live for Christ. Why? Because he died for me and I died in him. Meaning I submitted my life to him. No longer do I want my life to be about Alan, but I want my life to be about Christ. Does that make sense? So you see the shift here. Paul is trying to put words to what Jesus is saying to make it a little more understandable for us. But he continues. He says, therefore... Based on that idea, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I shouldn't look at you as a... (laughs) I want to say a human being, but that's not really fitting. I shouldn't look at you in the temporal sense. I should look at you as a soul that needs Jesus. As a soul that loves Jesus. As a person that is following Christ. It is changing my vision completely. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We knew him in the flesh, but now we know who he really is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, guess who that is? That is anyone who claims Jesus to be Lord of their life and follow him with an honest heart. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our temporal idea and vision and wants and needs just go away as far as our focus is concerned. They're still going to be there. I still have to get up in the morning and get dressed. Praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. Right? I got to have clothes. You want that. I want to eat. I want to be able to drive somewhere rather than to walk. 
But if my focus is solely on that, then I'm missing the great opportunities that God presents in front of me. But while I'm using these temporal things, I should be focusing on the eternal, on the spiritual. And that is what's happening here. All that stuff that I experienced before it is gone. It's dead. Now, I can work through some of that stuff, but I don't have to focus on it anymore because Christ took care of it all. There's some more. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If, you, uh, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Again, changing perspective. No longer do we need to worry about the stuff down here. Let's focus on him and he will meet our needs. He watches over the sparrows and the lilies. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Let's look at the eternal, not the temporal. It's a perspective of expectation. In this story, we see two different expectation perspectives. And they are these. One from the Pharisees, it's show me a sign, it's challenge. It's a challenge perspective. God, I'll believe and follow you, but you got to show me something first. I'll go and do that thing that you're asking me to do, but you got to do something for me first. I'll go talk to my neighbor, but you got to soften their heart. you got to make them nice. God, I'll go to, to work for you at a church or a college or whatever you want me to do, but first I need you to do this. Prove to me that you want me to do that. What if... What if he's already shown us enough and told us what he wants us to do? Micah 6.8. The two commandments that he took out. What more do you need? But I need to know specifically what I'm supposed to. Really? I know you want to honor him and I think that's great. And I think he can guide you. But sometimes he may just say, hey, here's two options. Choose one. I'll bless you in both. Because the reality is, it's not about the job. It's what you do inside that job that brings glory to him. And when he's ready to move you, guess what? You'll know it. And if you're still where you are, you might not be done with what he's got you set to do. Which may mean you may be stuck with me forever. I don't know. Who knows? Here's the second thing. Here's where the disciples were at. Ah, he'll take care of it. Jesus will take care of it. God's got it. I don't have to do that. I don't need to spend time with him. I'm saved. I'm good. God will just take care of everything. He'll put me where he wants me to be when he wants me to be there. If you can show me that in scripture, I will gladly subscribe to that. But I can show you plenty in scripture where it is my responsibility to remain at his feet until he tells me to go. I can show you plenty of scripture where he's already told me what he wants me to do and how he wants me to live. Therefore, I don't have to pray about should I cheat on my wife or not. I don't have to pray about whether I should look at that pornography or not. I don't have to pray about whether I should cheat at work or not. I don't have to pray about whether I should speed or not. We already know. Why are we waiting for God to give us another sign to tell us about things you already know? Well, I can tell you why. Because we're complacent. We fall in that spot where we're just way so comfortable. And God will take care of it. He'll fix it. And he can. But he might not. For me, this sums up this entire passage and really should be 
our perspective. This is a, a passage where Philip is around Jesus and some men, a, a large group, come to him. And this is what they say to him. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Not, hey, where's he at? We'll find him. Or, hey, can you send him to us? Their perspective and expectation was, we want to see him. What if that was your perspective every day? The moment you walk into work, facing all the knuckleheads you got to work with, and you might be one of them. But what if your perspective was simply, okay, God, I want to see where you're at work in here today. Help me not worry about pay grade. Help me not worry about my promotion. Help me not worry about all of these other things. Help me leverage the opportunity you have blessed me with to bring people to Christ. And then let God take care of all the other stuff. You work hard. You do your job. You keep your nose to the grindstone, stay out of trouble, and see what God wants to do with that. But have your eyes wide open of the opportunities for eternal reward. An eternal difference for the eternal impact. Love that phrase. It's a phrase that I hold near and dear to my heart. Because that's what I want people to see. Not only do I want to see that, but I want to live in such a way that people can see that in me. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, we've already touched on this again, but I want you to see again, where is the focus? Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. The temporal, don't worry about all that stuff. It's important, yeah, we got to have it, but don't make it your treasure. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your, or is, um, there is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your focus is, that's what you're focusing on. That's brilliant, isn't it? Let that sink in a little bit. It's not rocket science, folks. If I'm focusing on the temporal things, I will miss so many eternal, great, cool stuff. But if I'm focusing on the eternal things, God will make sure the temporal things are well managed for me. I don't have to worry about that because I'm focused on the right thing. Listen, if you don't listen or hear anything else, if you could just walk away with this thought in mind, just let it log away. It's kind of a a math thing. Eternal. Eternal, the things of God, the spiritual life, scripture, eternal, is greater than temporal. And I like temporal stuff, but I certainly don't want it to take the place of the eternal. Here's some questions for you this morning, and then we'll be done. Question number one is this. All right. Michelle, I'll let you do it for me today. Thank you. What do we focus on most? Simple question. Now, before you get to your Sunday school patent, well, I'm a good Christian, so obviously I think about the eternal. Please, please don't do that. Take an honest look at your heart. Look at the things that you own. Why do you always have to have the very best? Why do you always have to put yourself in a financial strain to be able to have that thing so everybody sees it? 
Could it be that you are more focused on the temporal rather than the eternal? What I don't want to create are people who just thump everybody with the Bible as they walk around either. I'm looking for well-balanced people who understand temporal is important, but eternal matters more. And their focus is solely to live a life in such a way that points people to Jesus and is able to walk alongside them as God works on their own heart. What do you focus most on? The temporal or the eternal? Next one, please. Would you recognize spiritual leaven if it was in front of you? That's a really good question. Because there are a lot of great TV preachers that are out there that say a lot of nice things and say it in such a spectacular way but are misdirecting you. There are some popular pastors that do that. It is imperative for you, one, to know Scripture inside and out to where when someone is misdirecting truth, you know it. Do you ever... Wonder how people can find a counterfeit bill. Have you ever studied that? Have you ever looked into that? Did you know that they don't study the counterfeits? They study the real thing inside and out to where they absolutely can spot a counterfeit 100% of the time. Because they've studied the real thing. Folks, the only way that we can discover leaven, spiritual leaven, is to study and know our God inside and out. Would you know Spiritual leaven, if it was right in front of you. Question number three. What have we forgotten that God has done? Not maybe willfully negligent, but just kind of complacent in what God has already done in your life. And you've approached this other thing and you are distraught and you don't know why God hasn't answered you yet. Well, maybe, maybe you forgot something that he's already done. Maybe it's a lesson he taught you before that actually plays in real nice right here. What have you forgotten that your God has done for you. And then lastly, do you have the challenge perspective? Are you always challenging God? I'll trust you, but you got to do this first. Or do you have the complacent perspective? You know what? God will take care of it. I don't have to worry about that. Or do you have the perspective of, I want to see Jesus? These are great questions for you to think through. And we're not going to close with a song. That way we can get you home. But we are going to close with prayer. So if you don't mind to bow your head and close your eyes. And you at home, if you want to do the same thing, that would be awesome. But I'm just going to read through these questions again, really slow. And as I'm reading, I just want you to be in conversation with God. And open your heart and your your spiritual ears, your mind to maybe listen and hear what he might reveal to you. And be courageous enough to deal with it. We are always here. We'll be happy to talk with you. If you want to come and pray, you're more than welcome to do that. We're going to ask the questions nice and slow, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done for the day. Here's the first question again. What do you focus most on? In your life, what hogs your attention the most? Is it temporal things? Again, not bad stuff. But if it's taking your attention away from eternal living, then maybe... We've got some problems. Second things, would you recognize spiritual leaven if it was right in front of you? 
How well do you know your Savior? What have you forgotten lately that God has done? Maybe today, while you're sitting watching it snow, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And see, truly, what God has done. And then think about the perspective that you live with. Do you have a challenge perspective? Are you always challenging God? Or are you complacent? I don't have to do that. He'll take care of it. Or is your perspective, man, I really want to see Jesus. As you think through those questions today, through the week, really take a hard look. Allow God to do something special. God, I thank you for the greatness of your word, the completeness of your word. I just ask that you help us to really think through these questions. Lord, even for me, I can be so easily complacent in so many different areas. Lord, help me to keep my view and perspective and the idea of, I just want to see you. I want to see you at work. I want to see you change lives. I want to see you doing things. So help me to not be complacent, to not challenge but just to be open and ready to be used by you. Help me to focus so much on the eternal rather than the temporal. And God, we all struggle with that. But Lord, help us to know you better than anything else so that when we are faced with spiritual misdirection or spiritual mistruth, we will know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Thank you for those that are here. Thank you for those, God, that tuned in at home or will tune in later. I pray that you would richly bless their lives and encourage them in a great way to continue after you knowing that you were able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Now bless us as we go home, keep us safe as we travel, and may you be honored in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day and please be safe as you travel home.